Welcome to episode 31 of Unsweeten and Unfiltered. And today's episode was actually influenced by an open discussion that Zain and I had attended. And of course, the topic of hijab was brought up. And as you all may know, everybody has their own opinion on this topic, especially in regards to major influencers taking it off. But at the end of the day, we also understand that everybody's struggling when it comes to the hijabis, the non-hijabis, and those who were wearing it and decided to take it off. I do want to put out a disclaimer in regards to this episode. We are not here bashing anybody that chooses to take it off. I mean, look at us, you know, we're not even wearing it. We understand that everyone is going through things. Everyone has their own personal struggles, whether they wear the hijab, whether they're struggling to put it on, or whether they're struggling to keep it on. And we completely understand that. We respect everyone's opinions. And we just wanted to have that conversation of what does it mean now that these high profile people are taking it off and how does it affect us? How does it exactly affect our community? And should it even affect us on a person by person basis? And so for today's episode, we have a special guest who is Alia Taha. She's a Palestinian Filipina blogger from Dallas, Texas. She shares content of her simple lifestyle, day to day reflections and faith driven poetry, all while seeking growth and thankfulness throughout her path. So of course, she's somebody that we want to have on because she is also someone who decided to give her input in regards to the situation that's happening because she is a hijabi herself. And although we do talk about hijab in this episode, we talk about a lot of other things. And one of the things that we do talk about is faith and how she brings everything back to faith. We also talk about losing a loved one. Um, in this emotional, vulnerable episode, I do really want to thank Alia for coming on and sharing her perspective, sharing the way that she views things now that she has gone through the things that she's gone through. Um, again, we want to thank you so, 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 so much, Alia. Yeah, she's somebody, like I said, I've been following for quite some time. And I really hope that you guys take the time to also support her and her journey. And she is somebody that does give you a fresh perspective on certain things. But always, like you said, Zaina, she brings it back to our faith. And I think all of us are struggling one one way or another. So sometimes this is a great way to recalibrate your intentions is by following people that, you know, bring you back to our faith in such a beautiful manner. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. As always, you guys make sure you stick around for the unfiltered afterthoughts. And let's just hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we want this to be a space where everybody can share their opinions. And I really hope that nobody gets offended by this episode because there's just, we left no room for that. We made sure that we were specifically talking about those who attack our faith. And we don't want that, especially when we already have others, when we talk about the West and whatnot attacking our faith. So this is more so an episode to really hope that we can all come together as sisters of Islam. And that's all we're here for, inshallah. Absolutely. These are our opinions, and uh, we understand that their opinions are not facts. So we respect everyone, and we hope that you guys can respect ours. Yes, inshallah. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Alia, for joining us. I'm really excited to jump into these great topics. But before we do that, I want to give our listeners just an insight of who you are. So if you can just introduce yourself, that would be amazing. Absolutely. First off, thank you guys for having me. Um, it's a blessing being able to work and communicate with you guys. Uh, my name is Alia Taha uh, from Dallas, Texas. I am of Palestinian and Filipina ethnicity and of Islamic faith. Some may know me uh, through my social media where I express a lot of self-reflection, but also do so in order to connect with others um, concerning the 
blessings and the hardships really of, of all our individual and communal paths. So something that I recently came across on your page was the snaps that you made about women taking off their hijab. And I think we've seen a lot of that happening on social media nowadays. But can you um, let us know what was going through your mind as you were making those snaps and why you decided to do that? Well, most of my stories that I'll do like on Instagram or Snap for the most part are pretty impulsive and really just what comes to mind at that moment. So it's pretty sporadic. And at that moment, I happened to write something on my, my poetry page that I felt just come from came from a place of sadness, um, really concerning concerning the girls that have been taking off their hijab. I think I'm, it's it's hard for me right now to separate between the emotion of sadness and frustration, maybe frustration and anger, all underlying sadness because one, it's sad to have a hijabi sister or a wave of hijabi sisters um, leave our community. It's not not even hijabi sisters, just sisters in general. I mean, it's a squad. It's it's a gang that's really you know we're we're, we're all in this um, common struggle and trying to push through. And so to see someone go, it's it's almost like losing family. And so um, it, it does come from a place of sadness. But when where it switches to frustration is not necessarily how it's not necessarily how someone it's not why someone took off the hijab. It's how they took it off. That That's where the frustration lies and where the concern really is for me and why I was so vocal about it in the snap. Yeah, I want to make it clear. I mean, agree or disagree, let me know. But you're not here attacking women who are taking off their hijab because there's women like Zaina and yes, Zaina and I who don't wear it. But what you're trying, what you're really more infuriated with is like just how there are some women who kind of bring down our faith as they take off that piece of cloth. I I, I use the term like hijabi in spirit because, like you said about about you guys, about you guys. there are girls that have family, like literally metajabine, like hijabis, all in their family. They're in complete support of it. They respect it, more, more importantly. And um, for some, look forward to the day that they decide to do it in their own path. Um, just being, I consider that a sisterhood all on its own. I consider sisters in that aspect as hijabis as well, because they're hijabis, like I said, in spirit or hijabis in heart, because it is asked of us in our faith. The issue is when someone decides to take it off and then point at the hijab and devalue um, it or take its validity away. And that's where I have an issue. And especially when it's done publicly, that's where, I mean, if you look at my social media, you'll see, I'm like, scroll down enough, you'll see I'm the most non-controversial account out there, (laughs) even though it is public. Um, It's so non-controversial because it's all about like a love and faith of Allah and his mercy. I mean, you can't really argue with that in the faith, right? So there's there's not a lot of friction on my page. Um, but when it comes to the putting down or questioning of my faith, that's when I'll stand up. Politics, culture, community, I, I can step back in my opinion, but when it, and really I don't have to prove uh, myself or put anyone down in, in these topics. When it comes to someone putting down or disrespecting, again, my faith, that's where I feel like I have no choice but to vocalize and be a voice for voices that I don't think are being heard right now and I think are the majority of our, not only our faith, the hijabi community, just the community as a whole. So, um, again, taking away that validity and respect for the hijab when at one point it did something for you. And I, I said it. Um, so blatantly in my story on there that the hijab didn't didn't crawl on your head. 
you decide, especially in Western society, you decided to put it on yourself. Um, social pressures are, are another thing for, for um, women who say that they did put it on for social pressures. My opinion on that is the reason you put on a hijab is not necessarily the reason why you're wearing it today. The reason why someone joins the faith is not the reason why they're believing in the faith today. I was born in the faith, alhamdulillah. Doesn't mean that's the reason why I believe in it so wholeheartedly now. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So yeah, take just just taking it off, looking back at it, and 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 speaking as though it did nothing for you. Put aside the faith, put aside the community. To say that the hijab itself, not at one point, gave you a sense of respect, modesty, protection, faith. That one time that it might have done it is enough for you to have to respect what it's done for your path because it could have done so much. It could have been what built that confidence for you to walk and maybe decide to take off the hijab. So uh, to, to question the faith is something I, I like I said, I am very disheartened and very at this point vocal and feel like it's necessary to vocalize that voice and opinion. This is going to come out as so selfish, I think of me to say, but when someone does take off the hijab and they are a public Instagram figure or whatever it may be, I get upset because I look at those people as role models. Like if you can do it, then I, sh- then I can too. If you can be successful in your career wearing the hijab, then there's no reason I shouldn't. And I know that's going to come off as so selfish of me because I know that everyone who decides to take off the hijab is doing it for their own personal reasons. And I can't be like, well, I look up for, I look up to you, so I need you to keep it on. Can I say something yeah. about that? And I see where you're coming from because we've had this discussion in, in, in a public gathering with other women. And, a lot of, and I think there's just so much pressure being put on these women with such a huge following. And I guess like there's this just, like underlying agreement that if you're a huge follower you are a role model but sometimes they don't sign up as role models and you know what some people do struggle and as a hijabi you're struggling as a non-hijabi you're struggling and someone who's taking it off you're struggling so where's that fine line between having our the women of our community understand that these women are not meant for you to always look up to you should not always mimic their moves and again the recent, the ones who t- recently took it off, you know what I mean? Like I, I haven't yet, I've, I've seen some exits where yes, they're saying the hijab oppressed me, but then I see some who are just saying, you know, it's not for me. And I am in total support of that. If it's not for you, it's not for you. And inshallah, ya Rab, you find your way back into that community. And inshallah, like you and I, Zaina, find yes. ourselves back into that community. So like how much pressure can we put on these women who do take it off and they have such a public following? This is the thing. This is the, my, my one my perspective on, on being a public figure with the hijab. I completely understand. I went through it when I had my own struggles with the hijab that even in my public, my, I'm sorry, my personal life, not, not um, on social media in my personal life, I, I would have that, that when I was again, struggling, that feeling of over, of overwhelm and just thinking, Oh, I don't, but I don't want to represent all Muslims. I don't want to represent all of Islam. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect as Muslims. Hijabis are not perfect just as much as a human sin, just as much as anyone that's a non-hijabi. And at the end of the day, as a hijabi, we have no choice but to represent the faith. I have to accept that. I had to have accepted that when I first put it on, but just as my, but the hijab, again, all of us as Muslims, we can't, we, we have to represent ourselves as Muslims in our behaviors, in our mannerisms, in, in uh, our words and our actions. But yeah, the hijab is a representation of the faith. I wanted to not deny it at one point, but it was like, oh, I don't want all that weight on my, on my shoulders. But our faith is a love, submission, and worship of Allah. So 
I had to humble myself a little bit and say, how dare I <laughs> say that's too much for me to handle? Well, oh my gosh, God's here helping me deal with the hardships and struggles of life. And I'm telling him, oh my gosh, I don't want to deal what you're giving me, which is to obey his words and something like wearing hijab, you know, something like prayer, something like fasting. Oh my gosh, this is just too much. I can't do that for a whole month. How am I going to work? How am I going to be able to play this sport? How am I going to be like all the excuses we make for ourselves? So when it comes to being a social figure with the hijab, I understand that they don't want to represent all hijabis, but at the end of the day, that hijab is a visualization. It's a, it's a, it's a material that represents the faith. You have a duty, not just as a social figure, but when you walk down the street, again, we're not all perfect. We might not walk down the street perfectly, but we have to keep in mind that we represent the faith. Okay. Even by having Muslim names, we are representing the faith. If you were behaving a certain way and your name is Muhammad, I'm going to correlate as a foreigner. I'm going to correlate that with a Muslim prophet. Peace be upon him. You know, so we all represent the faith um, and doing it publicly where you can impact some thousands, some millions. That's a scary thought. That's a big responsibility that we have to take. And there's a response as long as you're publicly online, as long as you're 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 walking down the street, like I said, there is a responsibility. You are influencing many. It's dangerous how many you can influence online. So I'm not um, that confident in myself that I would. I mean, Allah gave us the blessings of the blessing of privacy. So if I took off the hijab and I had a doubt, if I had this feeling that maybe looked at the hijab in a negative light. Well, Allah gave me the blessing of privacy. I can keep that to myself and no one has to know about it. I can have doubts about the faith and keep it between myself. My sins will stay with myself. My judgments of others can stay within myself. Allah gave us that. So why blast that? And it has to do something with the faith. Like, are we so confident that we know the faith so well that I can vocalize and literally redefine and reinvent the faith, take it off and say, and point at it and say, it's just, just a social figment. No, 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 no. I have to, I have to be humble and question myself a bit. You know what I mean? So that's something I do get a little heated about that. <laughs> uh, that I agree. That's, that's, that's really it. That's really where I come from. Let's talk about that because I feel like, again, this is not bashing women who take it off because it's a, a struggle is a struggle is a struggle no matter who you are. It's more so just trying to redefine Islam and I feel like I see that a lot and I think the one word that really makes me cringe and I hope I've never used it in the past is calling yourself a modern Muslim and I don't to this day understand what that means because if our Quran, if our faith, if our everything is timeless, what makes you think you're modern? Like what, what does it mean to be a modern Muslim? That's why I'm not, that's, I feel like I have that disconnect with people when they say that. And how do you feel about that, Alia? Oh, I wrongfully used that term before. I said, I used to call, I said modern, I don't, not a, uh, I don't think it was modern Muslim. I would say modern hijabi. And that was so wrong of me because, you know, when I, I use that with foreigners, I use that when I worked, I work in the airline industry for a big airline and the airport and that, and people from all walks, obviously in a big city like Dallas. And that's something I used when people would want to, I mean, ask me like with the style of hijab that I would wear on occasion, they would ask uh, if it was, or just people who are unaware of the faith in general, asking if it's a re religious garment I'm wearing, I would say, yes, they'd say, oh, it doesn't look like this one that I'm used to, or that style that I'm used to. And I would use the term, well, it's more like a modern hijab. Like I cringe when I think about yeah. 
using that term because I'm not saying we're all modern because we're, we're in modern times. We're all modernizing with time. But to say that to especially a foreigner, by foreigner, I just mean someone outside of the faith, not, not culturally. Um, but by saying that to them, I'm downplaying the faith. I'm downplaying the hijab. And that is assimilating. That is trying to conform. And that is, in a way, trying to um, say, I'm not that different from you. It is maybe a protective like mechanism that I'm in saying that I'm trying to relate. I'm trying to connect because I'm in um, Western society. But um, at what what was what's difficult in this whole like modern era thing with me is that I grew up here in Dallas, Texas. I was considered an American right off the bat. I mean, like just naturally, I was considered American. I was considered a Texan. I was considered a Southern girl. I put on the hijab around when I was in college, I put on the hijab and all of a sudden, like automatically, everyone's perception of me is I'm a foreigner. Like people were surprised at my accent. They were, they look, as soon, they, they'd see me as soon as I'd speak to someone, they'd be like, oh, how did you, where did you grow up? How did you learn English so well? And I was so thrown off by that. And I was like, I didn't understand. Like, and that felt that was, that was very heartbreaking for me to go say, okay, I was, I thought this is, a land that I grew up and claimed, but now it's like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a legit foreigner to everyone. I get it why people would use modern Muslim and trying to grow with time and as a person. But by doing that, like I said, we're just kind of downplaying um, the faith. We shouldn't feel sorry or bad or ashamed of, of our faith and what we believe in. And being people of conviction and being proud of our values is one, not putting down anybody else's. We can be tolerant and respect other people, but we can still, I can still say that I, I'm, I don't believe in this and I do believe in that. We should do this. We should do that. And I will not question the faith just because I might question myself and um, adapting to um, modern times. And the Quran, when you said timeless, the Quran itself, our holy book, was meant to, to to apply to all ages of time. That I mean, that's our holy book. No one can question that. Even whether you believe in the, you know, taking off the hijab, keeping it on, what you know. And this does not apply to people who leave the faith when they take off the hijab. This applies to we're talking about Muslimin, our ummah. This is anything that I'm referring to as a disclaimer. By by disregarding or trying to reinvent the faith, you're 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 questioning the timeless value of our Quran. The Quran does not expire. Okay. And if we want to say, well, something that many and we've all heard it is uh, growing up is that, well, you know, when it comes to things being haram or halal nowadays, well, they didn't have technology back then. They didn't have this back then. They didn't have that back then. How can we apply? How can we say something is haram? How do we know that if it didn't exist before? You know, we've all heard it. We've all probably been a part of it. But we have to realize something when it, I mean, who is it that we're supposed to embody and, 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 and see as our, our main role model. It's our prophet, prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Okay. Sidna Muhammad back then, you know, the person who was the ideal human being, he was meant to, he, he, uh, Allah brought him as our messenger and made him the person that we're supposed to follow and embody. Right. Why would he do that? But we're supposed to say anything he did or said that doesn't apply to this era and time. Then why did why are we here? Why are we here? You know, he dealt with things in a human perspective. Allah made him, represented him as a human being so we can connect with him. You know, uh, 
Sheikh Abdurrahman here, a local Sheikh here in Dallas, said it. If Allah brought the messenger as an angel, we wouldn't be able to connect or know how to follow them, you know, because we can't relate, we can't connect. But because it's a prophet that is a human, we have we 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 have guidelines. We, there's something if you want to do it in a ritualistic manner, if you want to do it in, in in the essence of his personality, of his kindness, there are things to look back on that still relate to today. What are things internally that Sidi Muhammad had to deal with? He dealt with self doubt. He dealt with inner peace. You know, he dealt with with a, just trying to fit the dialogue with Allah, having that connection with Allah, times of meditation and times of, in terms of the community, he dealt with war, you know, he dealt with, the, the, with battles. He dealt with justice laws. Like there are so many things in our society and as an individual that he dealt with that who hasn't, who has, who doesn't deal with inner peace right now, who doesn't deal with self-doubt now? What about out like those days of Sidi Muhammad and the Sahabi, what about that does not apply to today? So this whole time, this this um, we it's being of faith, value, and conviction is not expired. It is not old traditions. It's not culture. There might be a mix-up, but that's what that's 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 the social construct. That's something socially created. The mixture of culture and religion, not the religion itself. I um, kind of want to go back a little bit and talk about when you said that you would say you were a modern hijabi, just out of a way to simulate. I mean, I remember when I was younger in high school and in college, I used to tell people, they would ask, like, oh, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, I'm Palestinian, but I was born in America and so were my parents. And I didn't realize that, like, I was saying that to yourself. people. Yeah, and I'm like, why am I saying that? Like, I'm proud to be Palestinian. I don't have to try to get people to understand that I'm just as American as they are. Like, it doesn't really matter. But another point that you just brought up was humanizing the prophet. The prophet felt the same things that we feel right now. And we talked about this in a few episodes ago, just humanizing our prophets and saying, like, they felt that self-doubt. They felt that anxiety. They felt all the things that we're feeling right now. And something that I think that we kind of forget is that hijabis are human too and that they feel that self-doubt and they feel that that struggle within themselves. Just because they're wearing the hijab doesn't take that away. And I think that's something that I kind of realized as of recent, that hijabis are struggling day in and day out. And it's something that we have to be vocal about like supporting them i i want to be honest i didn't realize that because just like you said i did first of all thank you for all of that i i really like just talking about the prophet and how that's true some people do say that times are different but at the same time our prophet went through even much harsher conditions than we went through you know what i mean everything was on his back but when it comes to you you said something along the lines that it opened my eyes you're like there's that silent struggle versus that public struggle and the public struggle is when a woman takes off the hijab but then there's that silent struggle that we don't know about when a hijabi each day wakes up and puts the hijab on you don't know if that morning she felt like man i really can't do this anymore but i'm gonna still stick it out how do can you, you talk about that silent struggle a little bit more coming from somebody who does wear the hijab um so touch to touch base with the first point with with uh oh about like hijabis kind of having it figured out as someone who's not covered or assuming so. I think the opposite perspective can also be believed that when someone might see something in a hijabi that is not perfect and think, oh, great, well, look, like they think there's something special, right? There's judgment in that too when they see a hijabi or being, you know, um, making mistakes and saying like kind of uh, devaluing or diminishing the the, 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 the value of, of her hijab because of whatever imperfections. So I do see like how in both ways, 
there are views from the outside that people don't really see that's going on internally with the hijabi, which there is so much going on, so much going on. Because like we said, it, the hijab is a visual representation. And um, when it comes to vocalizing this from the get-go about the wave of um, hijabis taking off their hijab, it's a very public thing. And it's very apparent, whether online or in, in um, our personal lives, that once you take the hijab, it's clear one day you're, you're, you, you see a female in the lifestyle of as a hijabi and the next day she's not just like when someone enters it. And that's kind of the way that I put on the hijab. One day I was a hijabi the next, like on Friday, I left school. I wasn't a hijabi on Monday. I was. And so, um, that's very apparent. That's very clear. It's something that maybe, um, whether people there's like a backlash or there's encouragement, it's, it's a very loud statement even though it can be a silent one, even if someone says nothing, it's still a very loud visual statement. I mean, I'll, I'm going to pay my respects to that. If someone does decide to take off the hijab, because like I said, I'm not insulting the path and decision to take off your hijab. I had the struggle and was very close to it. I'm very honest about that, about taking off the hijab um, in, in that fight and struggle. Um, if it comes down to that with someone, it's not about taking it off. That's a very... I don't want, it's a, it's a personal journey, but I, I'm very uh, firm believer believing it's a personal journey. It's not a personal decision. That decision is not about me, myself, and I, you can put the community aside. You can put your parents aside. You can put everyone aside, but that is a decision between you and Allah. You cannot, it can't be me, myself, and I, when you do that, you are going to only see the dunya because you only know the dunya. If you have that dialogue with Allah, he's the one that's going to tap into your heart and let you see, remind you of what's beyond. You don't know what's at. We, we don't know the afterlife. You know, we, we, we can only have like a seed, a grain of what we might think or imagine in our human minds, what we're capable to believe, you know, or, or, or experience that decision. I'm not saying it's wrong if you don't, but I feel as a Muslim, there has to be a dialogue, self-reflection, self-awareness, but a really strong connection with Allah and trying to figure it out together because he is there for all of us. He's the most merciful. He is there for all of us. With that struggle as a hijabi, well, not too long, it wasn't so recent, but a while back, um, having the struggle of, of my fight, I believe it is a fight with the dunya that I'm having. You wouldn't be able to tell when I walk out the door. If you see me walking in the street, you can't tell that, um, I'm struggling so much and literally fighting in desperation to figure out what's going on with me in the hijab, you know, and, and that's something that it takes courage to take off for someone to decide in their path to take off the hijab. I'm not going to uh, throw that away or devalue that. It is a big, strong de decision. And inshallah, whatever decision is made, whether it's to keep it on or to take it off, that Allah provides nothing but mercy and peace to your heart. You know, just whatever that path may be, because it's done so publicly and so apparent, of course, what comes with 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 taking off the hijab, everyone has to admit you can't I can't be that upset that people will be upset if I took off my hijab. It's going and they might be it's inappropriate. It might not be Muslim and how they say it, but you have to expect it. We can't you can't assume everyone's just going to clap their hands for you. Right. It comes with the territory of deciding to take off your hijab. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's eventually going to calm down because Allah gave us also the blessing of being forgetful. 
So as humans, we're going to forget that you took off the hijab. I have hijabi um, friends that took off their hijab. I forgot at this point, because it's been so long, I forgot they were ever hijabi. It goes away. So that hysteria or that, that craziness that people might say, it takes a lot of courage. Yes, it does to take the blows, but it winds down, okay, at the end. As a hijabi, the courage, again, that's very courageous of a decision to make, but to stay as a hijabi, that courage is a constant thing that they need within their hearts and to walk out that door every single day. That fight, that um, protection they're seeking, the struggle, um, the fight of with with the dunya, with others, with, with racists, with, with themselves, I mean, it's so much, family, anybody, um, internally, externally, that fight and courage, it's, it's so complex. It's so inward and so outward. It's something that because of not being so um, apparent of a change, sometimes you, you girls feel ashamed to say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm uh, having a really difficult time. I don't know what to do. Someone might see a girl wearing a beanie, okay? I'm not... I do it to work out. I, I have pictures on social media of me having a modern style. We're going to go back to the modern term of hijab, of, of, of covering. Someone might look at that person, like you said about the views of, of observing a hijabi that you see in school, for example, and say, oh my gosh, she's not, she's wearing the hijab, but she's not even wearing it right. She might as well take it off. Right. You don't know that that person that she might look like she has she doesn't give a crap about what's going on. She doesn't care about anybody's opinion. She might look so bold and confident. You don't even know if what her battle and struggle is, is, oh my God, I don't want to take off this hijab. Why am I having this fight? Oh my gosh, Allah, please help me. What if that's the dialogue in her head? Not, yeah, I'm wearing this and I'm proud and you might not think I'm wearing it right, but I'm so bold and confident. No, what if the actual fight with her, because that was me too at one point was I'm not paying attention to the world around me. You know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, am I about to do this? And when I got really close to it, really close to it, and I almost made that decision, it was, it was mind blowing to me. It felt as though, it felt as though I was, and I was breaking down crying. And, and my realization was, oh my God, if one, the people that actually supported me the most that were crying when they heard that I was going to take it off and begged me not to and said that you would lose like that's the essence of you alia were all my foreign friends americans christians they were the ones that were literally crying for me not to put up the white flag that's what they saw as i was surrendering and bowing down to the others to the dunya whatever whatever it was the enemy okay so having that kind of hit me in the face that this was from foreigners this isn't even from the ummah this is not from muslims over here that made me realize in this, in this inward place that, oh my gosh, if I took this off, which I was again, so close to it, I felt as though I was literally about to have one of my limbs cut off. It sounds so dramatic, but I am not exaggerating. It felt like, oh my gosh, it's like, I'm about to like cut off my arm. Like that's what the hijab was. And it was, it was a mind blowing experience. So not to exaggerate that, that moment. I mean, there's a lot more that came with it or built up to it. But that could be going in a girl's mind that you think isn't doing the hijab, quote unquote, right. So all that, that's just a big, long example of what could possibly be going on in the struggle of a hijabi's heart, mind and spirit that nobody sees on the outside. And because of it being a quiet journey and a hijabi taking off 
her hijab being a very loud um, journey, whether online or in person, that is being the more dominant voice. And unfortunately, it's not just the dominant voice in social media, it's becoming the dominant voice in our faith. Okay, and even though they don't want to represent the, the faith, they were built, their platform was built on the faith, not the hijab, it was built on the faith. Because that's why, because it's not just hijabis following, it's Muslims following. So literally the faith is what is what brought the platform up. Yeah, that's something that if anything is, is takes a lot of courage, it's, it's keeping the hijab on and whether you're hijabi or not, or looking forward to putting on the hijab or putting back on the hijab, you, you, you have to let go. We have to be honest with ourselves and Allah, um, because Allah already knows our intentions. So he already knows. And the reality is we have to be honest with ourselves and face, look in the mirror and see why it is we're taking it off and acknowledge that it has to do with our path and our decisions um, and not the actual like principles and values of the religion and the words of Allah. Girl, the those were really, really, really great points because I, I tell so you sorry, this. I keep on going. going no, going. please. Go. <laughs> this episode is, is to hear you out. There's only so much Zane and I can say. This is coming from a perspective of a woman who wears the hijab day in and day out. And you thank you so much for opening up about the fact that you have struggled because I think that's really hard to talk about. And this is why I feel like. I mean, I've been seeing comments like this online where there are girls who are now, they were wearing the normal, I don't want to say normal, but they were wearing the hijab, like the traditional, that's the right word. They were wearing it the traditional way. And then slowly you see them wearing it more so where their neck shows and slowly where they're the, it's the beanie. And guess what people are commenting under those photos? They're saying, give it a month. She's going to take it off. Well, there you go. You saying that and in her reading that, she's like, well, this is the worst that I'm going to get when I take it off is somebody commenting this. I can handle this. But imagine if they had the support group that you had begging you to keep it on. What if as an ummah, when we see a woman struggling, and even for me, like I would love to have somebody sit down with me and be like, Dunya, please explain A through Z why you're not wearing the hijab. And without me feeling judged or backed in a corner, why can't we as an ummah, as a society, be there to support these women, support hijabis like you who have been struggling because you're a human being first before you're a Muslim. You're a human being and you are going to struggle and you're going to have these insecurities in your mind. Why can't we support these women first before already kicking them to the curb and losing faith in them? If you're losing faith in them, they're going to lose faith in our actual faith. They're going to lose the faith in general. So how as a society do you think we should approach this, that's, this phenomenon that's been happening? I'm not telling people, I'm not going to force a hijab on somebody. I can't talk. I don't wear the hijab. But what are ways our society, what can we do as a community to help women who are struggling? Well, this is the thing. It's a point that you, you just made when it comes to that gradual, <laughs> the gradual um, casualness, I guess, of, of wearing the hijab that you can clearly see online. That's a journey all on its own. I, I really wholeheartedly don't believe that hijabis just do that intentionally and that their principles just, you know, water down, I guess is the term. There is something going on. There is something going on, no matter what. What it takes, you guys, even if it's not done, quote unquote, right, that people need to understand is that there is already, it's it's not just a material 
that you wear on your head. When you walk out, whether someone says, whatever the reason someone is a hijabi, when they walk out, it's there's already something deep going on in that hijabi's mind, heart, and spirit. When she walks out that door, it's not, she can't tune it out. She's a hijabi. Whether you want to, it's like me being as tall as I am, like 5'11". I can't, I can't not stand out. Like I'm like, not only tall, I'm a hijabi, you know, I'm, I'm mixed. So people are already wondering what culture I am, you know? And so like, there's no way I had to admit, I, I can't not stand out. And so it's something that like, you just, you can't deny it. You can't deny it. And the difference between, let's say, I just wanted to point I me, mean, this isn't exactly with what we're talking, this topic that we're on right now with a hijab, but like we're, we're, we're minorities in many different ways. Um, I can be a minority of, with faith, um, with with my race, with my hijab, right? The thing with my race, when it comes to my color, when it comes to my features on me, I can't change that when I walk out. I can't change the color of my skin. You know, I can't, I can't change the shape of my eyes, the shape of my, my, my Filipino nose, you know, I can't change anything to look like what is socially acceptable in Western society or what would make me superior in, in, in um, Western society or here in the South. Okay. But the one thing that is actually a decision you make every single day is the hijab. That is a minority group that you have to decide every single day that I want to be a hijabi. I can't decide every day whether or not I want to be Palestinian and an Arab. I can't decide whether I want to be Filipino or tall, you know, or any of these things. I, I can't decide that. I can't, I have to decide. That's makes it, that's what makes it so challenging. That's what makes it so hard. That's what makes it a real, I mean, not to just take away from the others, but that's what makes it even more difficult and a special type of um, minority because I can, I, I can deny it. I can deny the hijab. I can simply take it off and I can deny it just in my heart alone. You know, so I think that's something to, to keep in mind when it comes to viewing a hijabi from the outside and what she's going through. So with her imperfections and her struggles and her up and down, we all have um, hardships in general in life. I mean, like that's what life is, hardships, obstacles. So there's that in general life for all of us as human beings. And then there's the the, the struggles of being hijabi or, or any other different um, issue that we can bring up. But with the hijab specifically, there are hardships. There are where we're moody as 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 humans. You know, one day um, as an athlete, I can think I'm I can be in that beast mode, or I'm at the gym. I can think that I'm a beast mode. I just I'm I'm literally feel like I can outdo and and you know size up everybody. I think I can size up guys. You know, I can go harder than they can. And like, I, I feel like I, I have this competitive spirit. I feel on top of the world, you know? And then some days I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so weak. I feel so inferior. I'm questioning everything about myself. You know, that's us as humans. We we, we have emotions. We're emotionally, emotionally driven as logically as you want to say we are. Um, we all have hearts and then that all fluctuates up and down. It's not perfect. And with the hijab, it's the same thing. If you see a hijabi that looks like she's in that up and down, or maybe it's just, you've seen her for a minute, stay down. That's when you should want to support her, not judge her within the faith. We're dealing with enough outside of the faith. You know, I was going to actually post, I posted a 12, I, I recorded a 12 minute video. It was going to be my first video on YouTube. And I already put the segment up. I already talked about it on um, my other um, channels of social media that it was coming up. It was already recorded. I already 
put some samples out and then I took it back about the hijab. And it was only because as someone who is trying to be socially and spiritually responsible on social media, I thought that because it was about the hijab and my struggle with the hijab, I thought it was inappropriate as a possible role model to anybody that I would post the struggle as I was going through it when I was in the darkness, opposed to making it on the other side and being able to say, you guys, I can relate to the darkness, but let me tell you how I got to the light. You know, that's an uplifting thing to do. So one thing that I did say in that video though, that I lost it a little, I, mean, I might've gone a little too far into, was something that someone said to me that was a very close family friend of mine. And it was an aunt, it was a chato that, and it was repeated and I let it go a couple of times. And then at one point I just, I lost it. And she kept repeating, the term and it was during my most difficult, challenging time. It's when, but so when she said it at that point, it's when I just couldn't handle it. And I broke down is when she said for like multiple times. And that was the last time that she said, if you're not going to wear the hijab, right, don't wear it at all. Just take it off. And she just very quickly just shrugged her hand. Just take it off. Like it was nothing to her. I'm going and I'm here. I'm telling y'all what it feels like I'm about to cut off a limb. That's how, like, that's how, that's how dramatic it is. You know, how serious this is, how deep and heavy this is. And someone ever so casually just brushes their hand and just says, just take it off. That, that hand gesture alone, I get heated just thinking about, just imagining it again, because it's like, you just devalued everything that I'm going through the struggle. So let's say, so, so, and this is something that I don't know if I can say I necessarily appreciate that so many people in the hijabi community are being so, you can be supportive of someone taking off the hijab, but the community has already lost a role model in someone taking off the hijab in social media. So for you as a hijabi, so another social media um, individual um, that's representing the hijab and, and part of the community still, I, I really truly believe that support and saying that Oh, so glad you're your genuine self and making it seem like, oh, thank God, as if we're being oppressed, if we still have it on. I feel like that can be done privately. You can privately message. You don't have to do it and show all the young girls that feel like they were abandoned by one role model that the other hijabi role models are you basically by commenting under there publicly, you're basically telling the girls that just lost a, a really big figure in their lives that, oh, not only did I lose one, but I also, the, the other ones that are left are completely supporting that one. So you just said, okay, so, and I had someone message this to me. I had a follower that told me, and it broke my heart, that said, and and people who take off their hijab that are in the public eye, they, they don't have to do things for the sake of, they don't have to necessarily feel bad that um, there are role models and some girls put their hijabs on because of looking up to them as role models. Yes, they're right. They, you, you, it's their decision. They should have done it for Allah. They shouldn't have done it, done it just to follow a role model. I get that perspective, but you had so many blessings. Allah blessed you and will continue to bless you for that girl having that hijab on her head, even for the struggle and fight. The fact that that girl, if she decides to try, I mean, is goes through a little bit of a, ooh, a pinch in her heart that she's possibly like lost a little faith in the hijab because of her taking it off. Just the fact that she's even fighting instead of just throwing it off after you, you're still going to get blessings because she still has that hijab on, even though she's struggling. So one, alhamdulillah for that, let's thank God for that perspective of girls looking up to you instead of saying, well, they should have done it. Like, why are we pointing the fingers back at your support? You know, that there was a mutual support and love. 
you guys built each other up as much as, as the, as, as much as you encouraged and built up followers, they sure as hell built up and supported you as much as you got negative comments and, and a backlash, you got that much, if not more love from the hijabi community. You even got it from bloggers, hijabi bloggers, you know, I, I, and I, I, I was surprised at how many were vocal about, about supporting it, you know, publicly, because again, not to be ashamed of their opinion, but again, it's something that could be supported privately because there is a, not just social responsibility, not a social media responsibility, but a spiritual religious responsibility. You're still using the platform as a hijabi blogger to connect with this following that is carrying you, right? So respect them a little bit. Like, like just have a, you know what I mean? It's just like, like don't quote unquote pick sides, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying, Aylia, because I feel like, yeah, when you have um, these, the the non-hijabis or the hijabis that took off their hijab, and then you have the actual hijabis who are still wearing it today, comment underneath saying, I'm so glad you found your authentic self. I don't think those are the right choice words that they should be using. Because you're trying to say that they weren't their authentic self when they were wearing the hijab. But again, going back to the comment that you made, these people chose the hijab. So at one point, yourself, who you were, you chose to wear this hijab. So I think a better comment that these hijabi bloggers can more so say is like, I'm here for you. If you need anything, let me know. I understand your struggle because this is a struggle. Let me know. Because then another girl who is not a blogger, doesn't have a huge following and who's like sees these girls as role models, when she sees a hijabi and an, and somebody who took off their hijab talking in this way, it still make, allows her to want to fight for it. But when you're saying, I'm so happy you found your authentic self, it's almost like come to the to the better side. This, you, you make I, it to the other side. You, you have more courage to go do that. And I'm still a little weaker than you. And I'm stuck here that's and, and we're oppressed basically you just showed society and even foreigners anybody outside of the faith basically you took us 10 and what the the whole idea of taking it off and saying that it was just you know a so like a a, a social figment or, or and the support of hijabis in that phrasing literally just shows everyone on the outside we are oppressed and took us literally 10 steps back in whatever we've been doing in modern times to develop ourselves and prove ourselves and strengthen ourselves within and outside of the community in Western society. Like, I, I feel like that's literally like, and, and I feel like it's like a self-sabotage right now within not just the faith, but in the hijabi community. With that being said, that, that comment that I was saying a follower said was, I mean, she just, she was like, you know, I really appreciate what you said about the hijab. I feel I put on the hijab because of because of someone who who happened to recently take it off. And she said, I felt like I was at home when I decided to do it, influenced by the role model online. She's like, I felt like I was at home when I put it on because of her or by in, in, in the influence of her. And when she took it off, I felt like I just joined a community, a sisterhood. And once she left, it was like, whoa, now I'm the outsider again. Like, subhanAllah, like that's mind blowing to me that, and that's so heavy and so hurtful. Like it broke my heart that I'm like someone that move to be a hijabi is heavy. It is heavy. I, I decided to do it overnight. I kind of did it backwards. Um, I only owned one hijab at that before I became a hijabi to wear twice a year for Eid. Like that's literally the experience I had. And all of a sudden I became a hijabi like overnight. And so um, of course with some stuff that built up to it, it's still, no matter how you put it on, it's a heavy experience. So to just join it and someone who influenced you in that 
beautiful of a way for that person to jump off ship, you know, and they happen to be the captain. It's like, whoa, this, this, it, it's just like, you just left someone stranded, you know? And again, it's one thing it could have, it can be eloquently done. It can be respectfully done. You can, in taking it off, emphasize how you still have a respect and value, not just once when you first take it off and then literally go, Oh, all bold. And I don't know the word to say exactly. Um, I understand what you're trying to say, Alia, because we're not here attacking women who are taking it off. It's more so just like how you're treating your faith after you take it off. And I think the most important thing is the words that you choose and how you are navigating this new side of you, not this new side, but this, this kind of, it's still a hardship just because you took it off. Doesn't mean now your life is easy. You're still facing hardships and it's still a struggle. So I feel like what's really important and, and to leave a good impression on these young girls who are just joining the hijabi community, make it seem like this is your struggle with the dunya, not your struggle with God, because it's, God is here for us. He's trying to help us out, trying to, uh, you know, alleviate these hardships that we're going through. Just be be bold enough, like you're saying, to understand that this is a hard a struggle that you're having with the dunya and with your insecurities. Do not put this on our faith. Exactly. Do not put exactly. it on our faith. Don't point it back at somewhere. That's an inward thing. You know, it's not everybody that has taken it off, but the, but you can only imagine, I mean, we can only imagine. It's, it's a very hard thing and it takes a very bold person to blatantly, which it's not, it's rarely ever done, if ever, I, I can't recall a time for someone in my personal life or on social media to just blatantly say, I took it off because I want to be seen. I want people to see my hair. I want people to see, I want people to see my skin. I, I want to be able to wear clothes that show off my body, that show off my, my shape, my figure. It takes too much, but we cannot deny and act like that's not something that people want or enjoy, like, or don't want to do. Part of that struggle of me um, questioning the hijab was moments. And even till now, that's something that always sounds, but I know how to, I know how to brush it off now, um, is looking at a dress, going out. Again, we live in Western society. It's completely open. You can buy anything, anywhere of any type of style and fashion. You can go anywhere and see something and be like, dang it, that looks so pretty. Or that looks super hot. I know I'd look really hot in it. Okay, you have a choice at that moment. You have a choice to either pity yourself because you can't do it and look good in front of everybody, or you can say, wow, mashallah, that looks good. Keep it moving, keep it moving. You know what I mean? Okay, we have temptation and influence everywhere. And something that I noticed part of that temptation when people ask me like, what I what do I do about those struggles? Like, I have to be shy if I'm, again, that decision to take off the hijab should not be a me, myself and I, it's a personal journey, but the decision is between you and Allah. If you are involving God, it would be a different decision. I'm not saying it's always going to be, but the dialogue in your head is going to be different because in the conclusion, instead of saying, I need to be my authentic self, if I was having a dialogue with Allah, right? If I was communicating with God would be, I would be shy if I was really, because I wasn't communicating with God when I was having those tempting thoughts. I, if, if I was talking to God, I would be shy to say, Allah, I want to take off the hijab because I really want to wear that pencil skirt. And I know it's going to look really good on me. And I don't want to have to wear opaque stockings. And I want to look good and not look silly with the hijab. It doesn't work with the hijab. Like, I would be shy. And there are many times during my dua or during my prayers, during my struggles, when if I'm literally in sujood, like I'm literally in the middle of my prayer, and I'm about to say something, and I, I stop, I freeze. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm shy. I'm embarrassed to say the reasons. But... Um, and so people do open up about that struggle. But again, if you're having that dialogue with God, there are things that will, that, that, that 
the mentality will change. That whole being your genuine self, anyone will be your genuine self. Your authentic self is you being in the bear. That's that's nothing but you. That's no clothes, no makeup, no accessories, no nothing, no product, anything. Of course, the closer you get to that, which is taking off garments, you're going to feel more natural. You're, anybody will. You're going to feel your authentic self. Makes sense. You're going to be comfortable. But do you have to do it publicly is a question. And if you do, why don't you just admit what it really is instead of, again, just redirecting it because you don't want to be honest with yourself, just redirecting it and questioning the hijab. Like that's the thing. If I ever decided, God forbid, if I ever decided to take off the hijab, I will absolutely admit because I, I, I'm, I would never point at the hijab or the value of it or the faith. Because again, if you question the faith or, or the hijab, you're in, or, or insult it. You're insulting the faith. Like that is a direct correlation in that. So I would rather in the struggle represent all of the all of Islam by wearing the hijab rather than take it off and put it down. Right. And I love that you bring it back to take it to God, like talk to God about it, because I mean, I could stop praying. I could stop fasting. I could stop reading the Quran and, and following Islam. And no one would know. I mean, don't you see me almost every week and you don't see me praying. You don't see me fasting. So that's between me and God. But if I wear the hijab and I take off the hijab, that's something you can physically see. And that suddenly doesn't become between you and God, it becomes between you, God, and everyone who sees you in your personal life and on social media. So it adds another factor. It's like now it's like everyone's part of this conversation. It's not just me and Allah. And I think that also adds to the struggle. It's like I'm dealing with something personally, something really deep down that I'm battling. But now I have all these outside voices in my head telling me, well, just take it off. You're wearing it wrong. Oh, just, you know, whatever it may be. So my question is, I think, Dunya, you actually answered some of it earlier. How do we respond to these hijabis who take off their their hijab? Because I've seen the negative comments and that makes me sick because I feel like it's pushing them further away from Islam when they feel like their own community is attacking them. Can I say something real yeah. quick? Because these girls, just because they took it off doesn't mean they'll never come back and be exactly. a hijabi. It doesn't mean that they're not praying. It doesn't mean they're not fasting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so like, how do we respond to them? How do we show them that it's okay that you're going through this? we're going to be here when you're ready to come back. Like, how do we make that connection with them? Well, with those that are really right before they take it off, I think like, like I said, when someone told me that was, it, it hurt because it was someone that was very close and dear to me that said, just take it off. You don't realize that literally, and it's so sad that it would be someone within the faith that you telling someone that, and this is what I said in the video that I ended up not posting about the, about the struggle with the hijab because I was so I was still in that that mood of it just happening when I was told that like you might what you said to that hijabi might literally have been the last straw for her to take off the hijab like that. Yeah, imagine the yeah, imagine the sins you get. Exactly. You have to ask yourself when you make that comment to someone, not even comment not even comment. Think about it. Even a look. Imagine when I said, when I'm like walking, if I'm walking in public and there's so much going on in my head, right. And I I'm, I'm wearing the hijab in a certain manner. I have a beanie on or anything like that. And I have all these deep thoughts and struggles and, and fights, internal fight going on with the hijab and, and, and a clear apparent Muslim is gives me the look of disgust. Not, not, not just shame on you, you know, gives a look at you like they're disgusted in you. You know, as if you're 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 doing you're you're doing something so cruel in the world. 
you know, um, and not just being a human. Imagine that look alone, I'm telling you, as a hijabi and one who struggled, not just the term, the, any, any words, a look can literally be the reason a hijabi takes off her hijab. And especially when it comes within the faith, it's like, whoa, I'm already dealing with the outside world, with the Western, with Western society, with foreigners. I already have that that I'm trying to fight off and see as part of the dunya, the challenges of the dunya. So, oh my God, if my support system within the ummah is the one giving me the most disgusted looks, a foreigner might give me the look. I mean, there's just straight racists that are going to give me that look of, of disgust. But in general, there might be just foreigners giving that, Westerners giving the look of just ignorance, of fear, of whatever it is, or just, just not being knowledgeable and just, just being so unaware and just wanting to walk away or not acknowledge you. Not as painful, honestly. The struggle is not as painful as it happening within the faith from someone who does believe in the same God, the same prophet, peace be upon him. That hurts. That really hurts. And again, it could be the reason because it was very close with me because it came from a loved one, a respected loved one that I look up to, like to, to tell me that where I'm like, wow, do you realize what it's like with well, the responsibilities with, of, of, of the community within the Ummah? There's a lot that we have to fix within the community that we have to work on, but that's just part of the test of, again, like the internal. There are the, there's the beauty and the responsibilities of the community, but then it gets deeper the more inward we go. There's the dunya, then there's the people that our that are outside of the faith, and there's the people in the faith, then there's the sisterhood within the faith. And then there's the hijabi community. And then there's your family and loved ones. Then there's literally just you. Then there's your heart, your soul, your spirit. Like you're just, you're, but that's what's getting closer and closer to Allah, you know? So at some points, when you look at the priority, you do have to just hush out the outside. I get it. But just know that you are a factor within someone's deen, okay? And faith. And you are, as being Muslims, you are closer into their faith. You know, you're in their circle. We're all in a circle. That's leading up to someone taking it off. It, it doesn't have to be an apparent support. It can just be, don't look at someone with disgust or shame. And when you asked about once someone does take it off, how do we support them? The way that I support, and it's not its not easy. It's something I, did, I, I have learned over time, is that it's not always easy to be the better person, the bigger person, but... Um, if you want peace within yourself, you have to know something that I learned because I did used to um, just go back and forth with people or just like overly silence myself, just just overly internalize or overly vocalize because of just the heat in the moment with things. One thing that I realized with someone who did take it off, no matter what it is, not just referring to the hijab, if you think, well, one example is is following in in the footsteps, the compassion, the kindness, the forgiveness of our prophet, peace be upon him. Just, just that is always a reminder. If he can behave like this, if he can let go, if he can put himself below someone next to him, you know, who am I to cope my heart with ego and pride? And so when it comes to facing things that I might not agree with or anything like that, just approaching things like in terms of like a dot, when it comes to just encouraging, when it comes to not necessarily speaking so much of people's path or what they should do as right and wrong, haram and halal. How can someone fight you when you are literally wishing them nothing but inner peace, guidance from Allah, protection from Allah? 
like anytime I have negativity on my on my page, that's what I mean. I, that's how I respond to people. I might I need a vo- I might need to vocalize my truth, but I always conclude it with that. And, and when it comes to I have people in my in my in my in my personal life that have taken off the hijab. And I don't necessarily have to say, this is where I stand, unless, like I said, there comes to a point with disrespect, you know? But other than that, it's about vocalizing that support, saying that I'm here for you. It breaks my heart that one of my friends, I wasn't physically close, like we, we, we um, weren't in communication for that period of time that she struggled before she took off the hijab. It breaks my heart because after we started talking again and being in interaction with one another, that I heard how she felt so alone during that struggle and she didn't know who to go to and she wasn't hearing the right things from the right people, you know, and it broke my heart and it still does that I was not there for that. So just literally being just someone dealing with just, I think I'm just focusing a little bit more so on because I think it's really important, someone leading to taking off the hijab. So I'm sorry to divert from from your question, but someone that's really close to it, like a lot of times it's just hearing it out and not being judged because hijabis feel like, you, I mean, others might put them on a high standard, but hijabis put themselves, they're not very forgiving with themselves either. That's why when it comes to sometimes with a struggle, they might think to themselves, well, dang it, if everybody thinks like this about me, then like, why am I going to care that everybody already views me like this? You know, and it takes a lot to just tune out the community, especially I've dealt with it with, with, with uh, coming from a Palestinian background of you don't want to care what everyone says, but you have a parent that does. So you have to care essentially, you know, because you love your parent, not about everybody feels, but you love your parents. So you have to, res- you have, you have to care about everyone else's opinion with stuff. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's a big struggle, but really being there for someone who is on the verge of taking it off, showing them that there's no judgment and like what happened to me, but from foreigners, just express to them in all honesty, what beauty you see in their spirit, in their heart and, and what the, what, what you see in the hijab, if you're a non hijabi and you're looking forward to the day that you're prepared to wear it, tell them how, you're, they're a role model in your eyes so they can see themselves in an in an empowered state and that they're the role model just because you're on social media that's not where all role models models exist you can just be that that quiet timid hijabi that that walks every day past you that you've never that you you don't acknowledge that you, you guys haven't actually directly crossed paths but you just see is just doing her own thing but just walking proudly that can be a role model those were my role models whenever i was when i was growing up before i wore the hijab it was the, the 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 quiet ones that just seemed so content. They did their duties, whether they were po- socially popular or not. They still had the hijab. Those were my role models. I didn't have social media back then. That exposes my age. But um, yeah, like it's just being that. And and like I said, making dot like a non-judgmental dot <laughs> where it's not like oh, I'm gonna pray for your soul. I know they don't want to hear that either. <laughs> yeah. Uncovered or covered. Oh, I pray that you come closer back to God. Well, they're gonna then then you just made them fight you even more and say, well, what makes you think that I'm losing my connection with God? You know? So it's even just saying like there's nothing wrong. That that kind of is across the board, across the board type thing where how like just praying for someone's soul, like that brings anyone to calm. Wow, this person really cares about my like that inner peace. I hope Allah's allowed to, you know, provides you mercy. I want mercy, whether I feel like I sinned or not, you know, those are beautiful things. And I think coming in that approach, um, and, and just always being an open ear is really something that is important. Those are great points, Alia, because I, I think it just goes back to compassion and being compassionate to, towards those people who are dealing with these struggles, because I feel like they're going through a test themselves, a hardship themselves. And this is also a test for you. How are you going to react when you see one of your own 
doing something that you don't agree with? Are you going to fight them? Are you going to attack them? Are you going to bring them down even more when they're already down, down below? You know what I mean? Or are you going to uplift them and help them out and understand, hey, I know you're struggling, but I'm here for you. Sometimes it's all somebody needs to to just, you know, stay strong in whatever fight that they're fighting. There is so much significance, especially, and this is for even for if, if girls who are non-hijabis that want to know how can they support their sisters, because I know that there is a connection and y'all really want to show your support and, and sometimes don't know how to necessarily. Literally, I can't tell you how much it can mean. And some might not respond well. Again, like there's judgmental hijabis just as much as there's judgmental non-hijabis and non-Muslims. Saying salamu alaikum to a stranger, to a hijabi, and as a non-hijabi who might they might consider is like, oh, she's not on my level, and not in, in, in an inferior way. It's more like, oh, she might not, I mean, she might see me as this like overly covered while she's able to be so open and exposed. Her hair is showing. So we're not, we're so disconnected while she's going through her struggle. Literally just walking by her where she, like in saying salamu alaikum with a smile, her that shows her that you didn't have to do that, you know, but you did. And you went out of your way. And that salam alaikum is not just something from the faith. It's showing her like, sister, I'm here. Like, I'm here backing you up. Like, I get emotional. Like, I'm going to get emotional right now just thinking about it. Because I would rather, as if I was a non-hijabi, I would rather say salam alaikum five times. And one of them just have that look, look up at me, look up and just be so surprised. And I've seen that where it's like, even with me, with with my, like, again, if you want to say modern style when it comes to like, um, the older, more traditional um, hijabis, when I say salam alaikum to them, sometimes they're surprised me as a younger hijabi that's like in this, like, again, modern style thinking, whoa, she's saying salam alaikum to me. And it's like, whoa, did you think that I, I'm not of faith, you know, but I've seen some of them give me the look, especially as a, an employee at the airport. The airport is a scary place for Muslims, you know? So the fact that I'm saying salam alaikum to you at the airport for a woman who's traveling a hijabi by herself, I can't tell you, like, I've, it, I've seen so many literally get emotional when I sit, when I greet them, because it's like they're in there, this tunnel vision, isolated world where they literally think it's all these people from all, all walks going like walking past her. Like she's, she's going through a thing, you know, she's going through something. You waking her up from that and saying like that indirect I'm here, you know, in the name of Allah for the sake of Allah. Oh my God. You, you, you healed so much and you just gave her this push, this strength. It does so much and it's something so simple. So I just think that's important. And even if those four out of the five just give you like sometimes, and it used to hurt me when I'd say Salam Alaikum and like some of the hijabis would literally look at me like, mm, okay. And just like, I didn't <laughs> exist. And I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. That's a beautiful yeah, tip right there so because, simple. or advice, I don't want to say tip because that's so true. It's so simple and it's, it's, it's actually, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to greet your fellow sister or brother in Islam. And that's something I grew up seeing my mom doing. Like we'd be shopping in, I don't know, some grocery store and it would be two hijabis just saying salam alaykum to yeah. each other and it'd be, you know, exchanging smiles. And I would smiles. always ask my mom like, oh, how do you know her? She's like, I don't. Yes. But it's just yeah. something that you do. Like, but see now it's like, it's up to us non-hijabis to do it too. Yeah. And I feel like there is a sense of intimidation. Like she might look at me like, oh, She's Muslim, but because I don't look like it, I guess, without the hijab. But at the same time, don't let that stop you from doing these little good deeds. I do want to transition into your writing. And I think I want to talk about you dealing with anxiety and stuff like that. Where, When did you decide to start writing and sharing your thoughts? And I'm, I'm sorry, but they are such beautiful thoughts. Like it really, really helps me. Your writing is beautiful because it also kind of relate. Well, it really, truly does. Majority of your writing kind of comes back to our faith, too. Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, I enjoyed writing since I was a kid. 
And I think for going into that transitional stage when you, you know, going through high school, transitioning to college, busy with the theatrics of that age. Um, by the way, anybody that's in their young 20s or anywhere near there, just know the roller coaster calms down once you hit your 30s. Yes, <laughs> There's still struggles and hardships, but just FYI, it's not so dramatic. <laughs> Everything just kind of calms down in your mind um, and in life, inshallah, for everyone. But um, during that phase, I, I, I didn't write so much. And then after really um, going through some hardships and um, internal, external struggles, spiritual struggles, I mean, so much. Um, I think where everybody might be going through that that um, lost phase of really just trying to find yourself, which I had to learn the hard way. You just, you never stop and you're not, you, you don't need to keep running in this wheel trying to reach an end goal. You are never going to stop learning. Once I kind of settled in that, I realized um, there was, and when I realized the things that I experienced, I was praying, I was doing things to try to overcome um, past experiences, I just couldn't let go of it or even how I viewed myself or how I let other people's view or voices become my own in terms of breaking my spirit, for example. Um, I have had that happen to me before. So when you allow an external factor to break your spirit, it's a difficult thing to go out of because when people can say, oh, just ignore it, like the, the, like that um, that thing, that person, that experience, that place, it's in the past, it's in the past. That's not, that's not the case because let's say if it, if, if it came from an external voice, well, if you've had your spirit broken, their voice becomes your voice. And how do you erase your voice? That's your head. It's your thoughts. Now you can't decipher what is toxic thought and what is a genuine thought and, and care for yourself. So in rummaging through that, um, and really just trying to develop a self-value, a self-love. I, I was like, you know what, let me just, um, I already had social media, but I, I mean, it was just kind of like a, just a personal thing. Just like, I mean, it started off like with Instagram, for example, it was like a foodie thing um, to begin with. And then that's when it transitioned to, why don't I just start writing again and just kind of like, let it out. <laughs> let me put it out there. Why don't I just start writing period? And, and during really dark phases in my life, I really, I just, poured it while literally crying. And like when, during those painful cries that really come from your gut that I feel like um, people might see as a dark place, but really I feel it's, it's Allah unveiling your, your, your heart. It's, it's Allah just cracking open everything that's been sitting inside any darkness, that cry that people might think they shouldn't let out um, or, or shouldn't expose you don't necessarily need to share it with anybody, but you need to have it sometimes. And I feel that's just an open, honest place of just cleanse. You are literally cleansing your heart so your, your soul can breathe again. During those moments, I would write. And that's when I think, and, and slowly, I mean, a little after that is when it, it was, it was, I felt bold, a bold move to do and a very vulnerable thing to do, but I started posting it eventually started posting it you can see in some of my posts, I, I, I would, I would write more like with my cursive. And so that's how it, it's always been in my little journals. But then I started actually like taking pictures of like my handwriting and, um, writing the action in, in the caption, what the actual poem was. And because of it coming from a dark place at the time or being under a dark cloud, I guess I can say, I saw those moments of light of like cleanse of Allah 
that's, I believe is Allah's mercy. That's him opening it up and saying like out, let it out. Like this is like, like fill your heart with what it is, which it's my, like my love, my mercy. I'm giving you the mercy. Show me the love, like fill my heart. Like, like, like fill your heart. I'm sorry. Like fill your heart, but I'm going to empty, I'm going to empty the space because our hearts are actually reserved for Allah. Like when we think about it, you know, I can have, and, and this is something that I, I, I discussed at a, at a halakha at one point uh, a while ago, where someone said when, when the sheikh was, was lecturing and saying that our heart is, is reserved for Allah. It's like some people like sat back and, and some mothers in the crowd sat back and young mothers and were like, I find it really hard to say that my heart is only reserved for Allah. What about my kid? Like, why are you saying that? Why should I not have my kid in my heart? And that's from Sheikh Mikhail Smith, who's another local um, sheikh that's part of Kalam Institute. Inshallah, an amazing institute. That's where I go to my halakas. When she asked, why are you saying that my heart shouldn't be reserved for my child as well? And it, it's it's a kind of a complex thought, but it, it makes sense. Like it clicked to me that your heart is reserved for Allah and you love and have a care for your child, for your husband, for I mean, just any loved one, for your parents. But it's because it was asked of you by Allah. You know, so when it comes to expressing your love and care, your infinite dying care for your child or for your parent or just any loved one or thing, it has to be in the name and sake of Allah. Allah asks you to get married. That's half of your faith. Allah asks you to treat your kid a certain way, to treat your husband a certain way, to treat your wife a certain way. So whatever love comes from that, it comes from Allah. So it makes sense that your heart would be reserved for Allah and, and it and these are the kind of things that I was like going really deep into during those those moments of like unveiling with my heart. Just like a little snippet of that. If you think of it in a study that I had with in, in reading a book, Purification of the Heart, our heart is an organ. If we're not the ones feeding it, if I'm not the one giving it life, if I give my heart, even this comes even with relationships or when it comes to potential relationships for the sake of marriage, if you devalue yourself and people might say it as, oh, nobody understands when it comes to keeping things blessed and going into marriage. If you just hand your heart out to everyone, you know, that's what you need to live. Your heart is it. Pump, that's what gives you life. Right. So if you just hand it to everyone, like, how are you going to stay alive? How are you going to live? How are you going to continue on? You know, the only person that you can trust to give your heart and he will not fail you is Allah, you know? So during those moments that I had, I, that's what, those are the things that were going on. I, I realized I had to have that, that dialogue with Allah. And that's why a lot of times my writing will come again from a place of, it might start off like from a place of darkness, but how my process and getting out of it, because I'm writing as I'm getting out of it and just, oh, and, and it, that's why it almost in some of them almost sound like a da'a. Because that's that's the place I'm in. That's what I'm, I'm. It's my dialogue to Allah. It's a very vulnerable thing to expose and to put out there. It's it's such a deep thing that a lot of people don't share um, in their communication with God. Um, but at the same time, I think also when when my style, it really, I think I, I, I express or touch up a lot on like the senses when it comes to the touch, the feel, the sight, the the beauty of light, all these things, because. Again, Allah blessed us with privacy. So as much as a lot of the people that follow me that are so loyal and that I connect with on so many levels because of my writing, sometimes I feel like they get me more than some people in my personal life because I'm exposing a really deep place with them and they're vibing and they're understanding where I'm coming from. 
but they're able to, to connect with it without knowing exactly what hardship I went through. So in doing that, I thought, am I being unauthentic or am I being fake and like not really expressing enough? But at the same time, I'm like, no, 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 no. In describing the sensitive into the senses of avoiding what the situation is, that person now can connect it to anything that they're going to. Does that make sense? Like they can connect to it on any level. It relates to anyone and anything because we all feel hardships, pain, sorrow, sadness, brokenness, you know, search for, you know, gratitude, mercy, light, all these things. So people, inshallah, I hope continue to connect on that level because I'm always searching for the light of Allah and within myself, the mercy of Allah. I'm always, I'm always going. It's not that I just, when people ask me, how do you, how do you see, like, how are you able to see the bright side to things at the end when you're in the darkness and you have that full surrender when I, I mean, like the word surrender is so important when you're in that deep darkness, I tend to overthink and I can live in my own thoughts. But if you just stop trying to figure it out on your own, Allah's there guys, like Allah's there waiting, saying, Hey, I'm here. Come to me. And sometimes some people need to, to, to wake up from reality or for, to learn a life lesson. Some people literally need a punch in the face. Like they just got hit by the bus, hit by a bus to wake up in life. And some people literally just need a tap on their shoulder. SubhanAllah, I'm one of those that need to be punched in the face. Like that, <laughs> I'm one of those that really need life. Like some people can ask why. I've never questioned why. Alhamdulillah, my dad, Allah has always taught me, never question why. You don't have to know why. Just wait for the, the blessing will come. The lesson will come. You know, so I'm just one of those that have to learn this really hard like way, but that's because that's what it, it's not Allah saying I need to be punished more. It means Allah is, this is what I'm the one that needs that for, for me to wake up with by uh, Allah. And some people really just need that. Hello, that tap where it's like, they can see someone else mess up and say, okay, note to self, don't do that. It's not that easy for me. It's not that easy for me. So, um, inshallah, like it was very, it's been very therapeutic for me in sharing these things. And alhamdulillah, I'm so glad when people open up that they connect to my writing. Um, but at the same time, like I cannot express enough and I feel so bad because I can't respond to everyone that comments. Like I'm healing through that process too, just because of the connection, the connection on that great deep level, inshallah, more and more people and, and inshallah for myself that I continue to allow myself at whatever hardship and pain look for it, not just wait for it, look for the mercy. In my writing, I'm writing while trying to figure out how is this merciful? It's always merciful when you're crying. That's your soul breathing. You just got to let it out sometimes, but there is always light, but you just have to come. When people say, how do you connect? You have to surrender, get out of your own thoughts and stop thinking that you have to figure it out. Allah is there. He's there to support, listen, protect. You just have to surrender and really just give yourself. And that takes time, you know? It does. And I'm so grateful for somebody like you who has this God-given talent, no exaggeration, because you are helping other people and you're doing it with such mercy. And, and, and when it comes to your writing, I truly connect with it because, like I said, you always bring it back to the faith. And sometimes I think that's why people connect to things, because I think behind closed doors, we're all struggling with our faith. Nobody's a perfect Muslim and some days are harder than the next. And when you see somebody else that's struggling just like you, but they've come out of it, it's it's really kind of motivational and it's really helpful to see that. And it really helps me. Like I said, I told you, like I was watching your snaps and I was bawling. I was crying. But then oh, at the oh. same time, like you said, Ali, I needed that good cry. I needed to understand and realize all these things. 
things. And there's something that you also said when it comes back to our faith, um, when you said spiritualist, being spiritualistic versus being ritualistic. Sometimes we think that our connection with God is so strong and that we know or God knows that we love him because we talk to him all day and in our minds or whatever or through diet or through prayer that sometimes we actually miss prayers and we think like, oh, God understands why I didn't wake up for Fudge. He, at least he knows so that confident. I still love him. Yeah, that's what it is. We're such confident we're Muslims. So confident. If, but we compare, we're nowhere near in comparison to our prophet, peace be upon him, like how he, how devoted he was to Allah. Oh yeah, I say it all the time. Like it's my niya. That's all that matters is my niya, yes, my, my intention. But it's like not... Oh, that is such a thing. That was my, my dad, Allah used to always say, he's like, this word intention, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> so <laughs> cute. Thing that he just hears so much that he's like, no, it's not that simple. And that's not the answer to everything. It's which is true. Exactly. I don't want to take credit for that. You, you brought that up and it really made me think for the past few days, like thinking about, it, I'm like, how many times have I missed a prayer? And I said, God understands. No, there is, there's no understanding why you missed a prayer unless you're literally on your deathbed and that's it. But there, but still to that point, there are ways to still even pray when you're even on your deathbed. SubhanAllah. So basically there's just no excuse. I do want to transition into your dad, Allah Rahman. This just happened recently in July and I, I will never be able to compare to that feeling of losing a, a, a parent. And I think that's the hardest thing anybody can go through. I just want to first ask you, how are you doing and how is your family doing? We're good, alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for for asking. We're, we're going day by day. Alhamdulillah, it's not easy. Um, I know um, gradually, like you can see in social media, that it's, it's I'm, there are times of like laughter or like putting in my stories or my, even my brother and even my mom at work, for example, of us laughing and enjoying our time with our loved ones. Um, but it's still hard. There's times of being quiet or just um, when we're with one another, trying to be strong with one another. And it's just part of the process. But something alhamdulillah, that I'm really grateful for is that before, during and after the passing of my father, that I'm so grateful and proud of my family that no matter what we did not question or ask why Allah's plan and what happened and him being able to go home to to his God. So alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm so glad because that, that is something I worried about, especially for like my, my younger brothers. And it's something that I think the, from a male perspective, they, they can fall into that place a lot easier than women to just be mad and angry. Um, there are moments of that, but I'm, I'm so glad that again, it's it's not towards Allah. You know, it's just straight up just missing our dad. Allah I can agree with that because when I see my grandmother, like when when it's a terminal illness and you see your loved one physically going through this, there was a point in my life at that moment where I was in a dark spot and I was questioning. And I, I, I kind of look, it's it's hard to even say that because I have so much love for, God, for our Allah and I feel like my faith is truly as strong as it can be. Obviously, I have a long ways to go. I'm not a perfect Muslim, but there was a point where it was a dark time. I'm like, why? Why does she deserve to suffer? And sometimes like, you do go through that. But when it comes to traumas like these, either you're going to keep spiraling down this darkness and kind of veer away from Allah, or you're going to strengthen your trust in Allah and understand that there are certain things that happen for certain reasons. And subhanAllah, I was reading a book and it, it calmed my heart and it made me, it calmed my soul when I read that. Like Allah allows these people to go through this physical pain because it's a way of them cleansing their sins. So then they can literally go to heaven. And well, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so ashamed of feeling this darkness in my heart. Yeah. I remember learning that actually when I lived in Palestine, they taught us that like the more 
traumatic the death is, yes. the easier it is for them to make that journey to heaven. And it, it is comforting when you know that. And it is comforting when you can go back to Islam and say, okay, I might not know the reason why Allah is taking my grandmother or my dad this early, but I know that there is a plan and I just have to trust that plan. And I think right, going, yeah, going back to the faith when it comes to grieving, it's so important. I know so many people who've lost people and they kind of veer away. And it's like, that's not what this, it's not what this, this was supposed to do for you. And it's so sad when you see that happen. But I just, when I look at your snaps and I look at your photos that you post in those videos, I, I see your family, mashallah, so close knit. And it's so beautiful to see relationships still like that. That's a blessing in itself. And, and I think it's so important when you remember that you're lucky that you had that time with your father and that your father, and you are your father's daughter. I mean, we, you, just the way that you describe him, um, I can see those traits in you. And I think it's so important to remember, like, we're so lucky we had that time. Yes, it might not have been the time that we wanted and all the, the time that we thought we had with them, but to hold on to those memories and to hold on to those those sentiments. It's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a challenge for sure. It's, I think there's, I think you touched up on it, Dunya, about like, the whole spiraling thing. I, I I felt it the day my dad passed away. When the after after everything happened, alhamdulillah, you know, when they say the quicker that the whole process goes, it's a good sign. When when the soul is basically when the body is, is so smoothly gone, like alhamdulillah, everything, it was just a seven-hour process in terms of like the cleansing, the prayer, the janaza, the the burial. It was so smooth and came with ease. So I felt like that was just, it was just a beautiful sign in terms of his soul uh, being in a good place for his passing. But uh, that night when it came to just knowing this is just a new chapter and, and throughout the sickness, it, it just all felt like phases of, okay, this point is gonna be, this is gonna be a whole new world we're gonna experience. Okay, now this is gonna be the beginning of a, a new, a new, not a new world, a new life that we have to live that moment. I felt it when we had to, I'm sorry, I'm going to be emotional by saying this, but I think it's really important to be said for anybody who does or is going to experience it, which we all are going to experience losing a loved one, of course. There's that moment when we were like uh, putting his stuff away. Um, The things that had to do with the sickness that we wanted to, that were in the house, that I just wanted out, you know, and I, I just knew there was a moment like, alhamdulillah, like I have such a strong brother, and being a younger brother, I'm so proud of him. That was like, you with know, new, like, we're doing it for the sake of Allah. We had Quran playing and we were just like, we're, we're, we're going to do, it's going to be so painful and hard, but we're going to do this. And we're just going to keep putting our faith in him and being in support of one another. And we're going to be strong. We're going to be strong. Allah's giving us our strength right now to do this, which is very, very painful to just make things go away. You know, during that moment, I felt it while he was just talking to me. I felt it while sitting there in his area and like just kind of daydreaming the space and just realizing, wow, I have two roads I'm about to walk, I can walk through right now. And it was very clear and vivid. I'm either going to put all my heart and soul into the faith in Allah and just go so deep into that, or I'm going to go down, which is an easier path go down that dark road of just not caring and just letting go and basically being buried with my father, like that, that's how I, I view it. 
it was it was so clear which way. And it's like I, it's like I subhanAllah was able to see where that was all gonna take me, you know. Alhamdulillah. Like I like I said, we have each other to just like remind ourselves and like kind of have like a little prep talk. And I knew in that moment if I did not put it all into prayer, like prayer has never been more important to me in my life as it is now or during that point when I also needed to pray for my father's soul and how much it meant for me as his child, as his daughter to pray for his soul. So now it's not just a matter of me. And like you said, that intention or Allah gets it. Why the heck would I at this moment, or why would someone wait till something like this moment to say, oh, Allah knows I, I care about my dad's soul. No. So I get like that perspective, like you said, that I had at one point. And now it's like, why would I even take a chance to, take that prayer away from my dad's soul. And it just put a lot of things in perspective. And it also, and I also knew if I did not put my faith in Allah, I was going to lose myself. I was going to lose the value of my life. And I had a mother who just lost her husband of 40 years. Like I have brothers that I need to keep uplifted and in support of. I have like, we, we have so much, I have my future. My, my father still wants me to have children and have, and be married, even if he's not here. That was his dream, to, you know? And I let go of the fact that he's not gonna be there for that. But alhamdulillah, there was a purpose that he's gonna be there in spirit because he did raise me right to make the right decision, you know? So there's so much in making the right decision at that moment for anybody who goes through it. Just know like it's, it's not just about others. It's just, it's so important to just save yourself, not just your loved one's soul, which is very important, especially if you're their child, but it's very important to save yourself because Allah still blessed you with your soul and you can't devalue your soul. And that person's soul is not more important than yours. So, and in, and while your, your loved one pass, they for sure would not want to see you not taking care of yourself or taking this life for granted. And there was one point, you know, when people could, and it's not common, you know, to have women and like so close to the burial site culturally, um, especially with, with Arabs, because we can be dramatic to have women so close to the, to the, to the actual burial. And that was something that me and my mom made sure that, and my brother made sure that we were going to be very close and, and, and right there for where most people might scream and cry. And I mean, even go to the point of ripping their hijab off some like, you know, some women might do that or just like, just screaming and crying. Of course, don't get me wrong. I was crying, but like anyone who is going to experience again, the inevitable is that, oh my God, it was, it was crazy. It was like in that moment that my father was there and what was happening and just the whole experience I'm seeing my brother down there and the other one, like having to watch it on FaceTime from the Philippines because he couldn't make it on time. SubhanAllah. Um, but it was all meant for a reason. But in that moment, it's like we can act like let's I'm going back to the hijab. We can act like, oh my God, this is such a long life lived. And there's so many issues. Like, so when I question myself with the value of hijab, which subhanAllah, my dad's passing has brought blessings because now I will never question the hijab because I know my priorities because of experiencing my father's death. Now I don't give a crap about looking, being able to look like everyone else around me. Muslims were meant to stand out. We're not meant to blend with the crowd of the norm. I don't care about being in fashion. You know, I really don't care about looking good in that outfit. I don't care about conforming to others. I don't care about 
even the idea of just trying to be my authentic self. My God, if you're talking about being your authentic self, trying to be your true self, um, you really won't give a crap about that when you're seeing a parent that was your protector at one point being buried, you know, right in front of you. At that point, subhanAllah, God prioritizes everything, cleans out literally everything in the dunya that does not matter in life for the afterlife. And literally my whole life played so quickly. And I felt how fast the dunya was in that moment, instead of, which does nothing for his soul, screaming and crying and shouting at that moment, which you can do. I mean, sometimes you have to, but at that moment, was that was not the priority. Like subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, we were not again questioning it, even though as his children and as his wife, it was very painful. The only thing that I was thinking was, oh my God, like as like, you know, with the dirt and everything like that, the only thing that I was thinking was, oh my God, I have to get as much da'a as I can before it's too late, like before it closes. I have to talk, tell him, don't be scared. You're not alone. Don't be scared of the darkness. Inshallah, Allah will show you the light. We'll, we'll show you the window of heaven, of paradise. I'm trying to say as much as I can. And that's why it sounds preachy. I might sound preachy when I post online. You know, make sure you you hug and appreciate your parent or this and that. Again, just from experience, I felt how fast my life went before me and how little opportunity I had to make a da'a for my father. Like I could not have spoken. I'd already talk fast. I could not have spoken faster and so much come out of my heart and through my mouth than what came out during that moment. I was racing for it. It couldn't have gone any faster, you know? So yeah, when I express online or I might, it might be a downer when I express, or, you know, some people might, I don't even care if they, if they unfollow because of uh, it being a downer. Cause I used to be one of those people that couldn't face death. When I saw it online, I was like, oh, this is so depressing. Like, I just don't want to like face it. You know, I, I, I was like, we said about the spiritual and real ritualistic. I was more spiritual because I had this, I was like, I had this love and dialogue with Allah. But if you, if you're too spiritual, something as material as prayers and, and, and fasting or wearing the hijab, like it loses its value because you're thinking so figuratively. You're like, oh, well, Allah knows if I have this love for God, I don't need to pray to prove it. I don't need to wear the hijab because it's just a cloth to show my love to him. But you do because you lose the value of that balance that's necessary to keep yourself centered and grounded to prepare for the afterlife, to prioritize everything. In that prayer, if you commit to those five prayers, you will remember when life is going so fast, you'll remember to make a dot for your family. You'll remember to ask for forgiveness. You will remember to ask for the mercy of Allah. When you're thinking in your head and you're overthinking and worrying and not putting yourself, you're not, not doing the ritualistic aspect or not put it, having that hijab on where you can, you know, have to look in the mirror, every, no matter how far you go, when you put the hijab on every day, whether it's a struggle or not, you can go far from the hijab, but you can't, or from the deen, but you can't go too far because you have a reminder every day you, that it's, it's on your head. You're wearing it on your body, the physical representation of the, of, of the faith, you know? So all these things. We can just be, you can, people, you can, everyone can just take it as preaching to get closer to your faith, or you can just wait till you experience that hardship where you're like, dang it. Like, I don't believe in just dwelling on regrets. 
it's not so much a regret. It's just now I'm just thinking to myself at times, like with how much prayer and dua and everything and talking to my father and racing. Alhamdulillah, I told him I loved him and everything before he passed. And I, I expressed everything because of that time of sickness that Allah blessed us with that time to say what we needed to say during that passing. It's just, it's so fast. I can't emphasize that. It's so fast, guys. It's so fast. And you don't want to take advantage of the time that you have while they're healthy, while your loved ones are healthy, while you're healthy, where you can pray, you know, and have that connection with God. You don't want to wait till things are too late. And I think um, even with my prayers being of faith or go always, or anything that I say or do going back to faith. Again, it's not being preachy. It's not trying to be holier than thou um, expressing the, the struggle with the hijab and saying, you know what, at the end of the day, it's something that pleases Allah and I just have to do it. And before it was a real struggle. Now it's more like, dang it. Allah just wants, we just, it pleases Allah. It's that simple now. It pleases Allah. What am I complaining about? I don't care if you look at me, they look at me, whoever looks at me wrong. Like, why does that compare to staying close and just pleasing Allah? And by pleasing my God, I'm giving my father the blessings for what he, how he raised me. Whether it was in a difficult, tough, you know, tough love, emotionally reserved, Palestini man, whether it was strong, whether it was the right way or the wrong way in some approaches or words or weight styles or actions, no matter what he did, it led to my convictions of faith and principles and values now. That's what it led to. And subhanAllah, even in my dad's passing, I see the blessings in it. I see the blessings in it. There's so many, like I wouldn't be closer to my faith if it wasn't for my dad, honestly, that's if it wasn't for my dad's passing, it sounds strange. Or if it comes to even, I'm not married. If it comes to now, I, again, like when it came to the idea that's still like a pinch in my heart of him not being there in my wedding, which I literally like already planned. Like I've always had, and it's very hard. It's very hard. I literally watched the notebook <laughs> the other day and was oh, like, Oh God, that's bawling. the worst. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was bawling because that song I will be seeing you was what I wanted my father daughter dance to be. That's I'm what so I want. Sorry, Alia. That's what I want. It's okay. Like that's, that's what, that's what I wanted the father-daughter dance to be. I Every time I went to a wedding, every father-daughter dance, I just bawled. But I couldn't even imagine the day that it would be with my father, you know. And it, and it broke my heart because, of course, of course, I've spoken to people for the sake of marriage and everything. And I'm not married right now. But all I thought to myself was, oh, my gosh, he was here for all the the, the no's I gave. And he was here for all the, the the difficult times or when I was just a pain in the butt and and just being young and silly. He was there for all the hardships, but he's not going to be there for the actual wedding, you know? And I mean, my dad is not a man who cries, but when he was sick, he had a dream that, and I, that I woke him up from. And I thought he, I shocked him and he was like, no. And he like broke down crying because he had a dream that he said it was so beautiful. I was like, oh, what's wrong? Did something bad happen? And he's like, no. And he just broke down saying, I, I had, I felt like I was at your wedding. It was real. And it was so beautiful. <laughs> And there's so much depth in just a wedding. It's not a party. It just means so much. And it it broke my heart because I knew I didn't have that much time with him. And I knew, oh my God, I can't give him what he wants, you know? But I had to let that go and say, you know what? But I'm here for my father taking care of him while he's sick. And that's far more important than me than in giving him dog, praying on his for his soul, praying for his for God to show him mercy and forgiveness. That's way more of a blessing. That's way more that I can repay him. And being a good Muslim, first and foremost, and a good daughter, even when he's not here.
that's what I had to remind myself. But now I know I'm not just trying to out. I don't talk about that stuff on social media. I'm not trying to out that I'm single. It's just now the lesson I learned and 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 in the blessings because I'm sure girls that had didn't that their fathers passed away before marriage. You know, I just want you guys to know that like like with my situation, he was there for all the crap, the crappy situations or the situations where I didn't value myself. I didn't. I, I might have just been not thinking maturely or. Uh, just things not working out or allowing myself to be devalued and stuff like that. Like, why was he there for that and not for the, the, the celebration and the beauty of the right one and what my nasib is? But instead, I'm saying alhamdulillah because, and it was only recently that I realized it, that I'm like, you know what? I needed my dad in the physical to be my protector from these people, from, from, from guys that might hurt me. I needed him. He was my confidant. Like surprisingly people, some girls don't feel comfortable talking to their father. Any guy that asked for my hand, I like, I talked, I did the breakdown with my father. Like we talked it through. He can talk his mouth off just as much as I can. And he goes so in depth and we can sit there for hours back and forth, just breaking it down. Because although I we clashed when I was younger, it's because again, I am my father's daughter. We're like the same person. That's why we clashed. And then eventually, alhamdulillah, got along so well. It wasn't always perfect, but now it's like he was there before to protect me from what I needed to be protected of, which was the negative or not meant to be situations and how to grow or walk out of those situations in a good way, in a protected, peaceful way, and still loving and respecting myself and my God. But now I can say, alhamdulillah, because of not only just coming closer to my faith, like with, again, my dad's passing, I can say, you know what? He was meant to be here in the physical for those, but he really is meant to be here in spirit for the celebration for the right guy, because now I know I'm going to make the right decision because I'm going to make sure it's the right guy because I value myself. I value my God. I value um, my the traditions that my dad taught me, the values and principles he taught me. I, I gave a promise and I don't use the word promise lightly that I would strive not to be perfect, that that's saved for Allah, but strive to be a better Muslim and daughter. And in doing so, I would make the right decisions and the, go through the right thought process and making the right decision. And if it's the right guy, if it's a man of faith, then it will be a successful, peaceful place where I don't have to worry about my father protecting me. It's about Allah protecting me. Now I'm good. I'm good because I'm going to put my faith in God's hands. And especially if it's coming from with, with, with a man who also has that same value of God. Now I'm looking for the right things because all the other categories that I was looking for all fit into a man of faith because a man of faith would have all those other principles and values. And that's another lesson my father taught me, you know, good work ethic, um, generosity, just general attraction, just basic attraction. All these things that you look for in the right person all falls into someone that has a faith in Allah because they're not going to fear you when it comes to trust, loyalty, honesty. They, they have, they, they don't, they, fear, they don't fear being honest with you. They fear being honest and trusting with Allah. They they have him to answer to, not me. So in that in that place, I don't have to worry about whether someone is going to do anything, uh, do right or wrong by me, or hurt me, or what am I going to do? My father's not here. Like who is who is he going to answer to if this guy ever hurts me? Or like you know, because you know when you lose a, a parent, you feel like you just not not abandoned, but you feel like you go back to being like a newborn baby, like a or a toddler that's like or a little girl that's like, where's my baba? You know, like no one will own that name again. 
you know, I will not call him out again. You know, that's such a special thing. So, um, and, and how will whoever I will meet understand and know how important this man was to me and is, and that's just, again, continuing his values, his principles and, and, and continuing on with his wisdom and faith and convictions and love and fear of Allah. And that's really what it all comes down to. And one dot that I, and what I'll conclude all that with is the dot I make other than praying for my father's mercy, you know, for Allah to show his soul mercy and forgiveness and for my mom to have a healing heart and my brothers and that our relationship is nothing but love, support and, and Dean amongst us, like on the constant are my prayers. If there's anything that I can take from all of this or some, a dot that I continue um, to make again, not just for my family, but uh, for myself really, um, because you can forget at one point, you don't want to fixate so much on the death of someone, I, I just as much as I pray for my father, I have to, in a healthy manner, not reach a point where it's almost obsessive. So alhamdulillah, I'm reaching like the balance in that and, and making sure to go back to Allah and any, even any dot that I make for my father. But the one that you also have to, I have to remember to continue to make dot for myself is that not just for Allah to guide me and to forgive me and show me mercy, but it also is in that moment that I, that I shared with y'all about about the burial of my father. Um, and just even that week and those days in general of him passing, subhanAllah, Allah made it, you, I, I was, that anticipation was making me so sick of what I would, how I thought I was going to lose my mind when he did eventually pass away. But subhanAllah, Allah does something to make it bearable and somehow be at calm and like at times even smile or be able to giggle or like, you know, something, be able to greet people with a smile um, throughout that time where it's like, he makes it to where it's not necessarily, like I said, it, it, it wasn't an ache in my heart. It was like an ache in my gut. The one thing that I, I, I focus on for myself is when, when Allah made it very clear um, and the mercy he provided during that time when my, after my father passed and the burial, what was this feeling of like, just anything that I was worried about, anything that I thought was of priority, everything just shifted. It was like, subhanAllah, everything that I needed to align. It's like having this to-do list, like you're just trying to accomplish and you just can't get to it. It seems so scattered and out of, like, you just can't figure it out. You can't get anything done, which some people feel in life, which I definitely was feeling in life at many points ongoing. It's like Allah subhanAllah just gets your entire life. Like, like I said, during the burial and after, and just organizes the heck out of it, prioritizes it and just reminds you what the heck is of value. What the heck is important reminds you why we are, why we are here in the dunya, what we're supposed to be tested with that as much as we, we need to focus on the love of Allah, we need to fear Allah as much as he is the most merciful. He is the most powerful as much as God exists. The shaitan exists. I used to be scared to even say the devil, you know, I didn't want to acknowledge it, but we have to acknowledge it because he is here. He, he is, a there is temptation. He is talking to us, you know? So that's why we have to keep that communication with Allah. So something that I remind myself when all that naturally happened and that came from Allah, now I am praying and I will forever pray that Allah continues, whatever that feeling I was, because of course, now that I'm back at work, now that I'm, you know, talking to people more and that I'm going back into my routine and trying to learn how to live this new life, it's very easy to fall back into the dunya again, you know? So 
that is my prayer that I continue to feel not the death of my father, but to feel that organization, that priority of and reminder of, whoa, no, this is reality. Nothing matters. Nothing else matters. And Allah is, at, is on the top. And that's it. Allah's on the top. It's that simple. That is so beautiful, Alia, because everything that you just said really, truly, I hope it helped everybody else that has lost a parent or lost a loved one. Because I told you, like losing my grandmother, watching your videos really helped me kind of, like you said, prioritize everything and really like understand the, the dunya and the point of this dunya and everything. And I do want to take a moment right now to say a dua for your dad. And I really, inshallah, ya Rab, Allah, wasta's kabra. Inshallah, ya Rab, he is, he, he enters the highest of heavens. Inshallah, ya Rab, Allah forgives his sins and rewards all the good deeds that he has and done. Allah. And inshallah, every dua that is made on his behalf is answered, ya Rab. And inshallah, Allah protects him and his entire family, including you, your mom, and your brothers. Inshallah, and ya Rab. Inshallah. This is really something super hard to open up about. And I, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Alia, for opening up about your dad. And then, like, I want to remind people this just recently happened. This is not something that, you know, it's been a year and now you've known how to cope with it. You're coping with it day by day and you're grieving day by day. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for opening up from every topic possible. You really honestly continue to enlighten everybody that you come across. And you are a beautiful light. And yes, your dad might not be here physically, but the way he has raised you is going to honestly just help everybody that you do come across. And you are a gift and a blessing to everybody that you know. And I'm, I truly mean that from the bottom of my heart. Your family is a very, very special family, Alia. They really are. Thank you so much. From your brothers much. to your mom to your dad to you. So thank you, girl, from the bottom thank of our hearts. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Just even connecting. Connection is what literally, like comforts my soul and that's why i write post and everything just that connection it's just it's it's a healing experience for anybody to connect with one another in such a vulnerable place especially when it comes to faith and just spiritual physical emotional mental wellness and being able to connect with one another on that level it's just i see it as just a very beautiful thing and inshallah all of us are able to continue seeing the light of Allah inshallah. that he provides even within ourselves. Inshallah, everybody's hearts are going to be able to be unveiled and be able to have that connection and appreciation and gratitude of Allah through his mercy and be able to see and give full surrender to be able to experience that mercy. I really wish that for everyone, for you guys and your families as well. Inshallah. inshallah. Thank you, Habib. Thank well, you, Alia. Thank you so you, much. Thank you truly you. have sisters for life. Thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. You know, after we ended the Skype call with Alia, I kind of told her I was proud of her. And I don't know if that came off as a little bit weird since I don't really know. I haven't known her for that long, but I am truly proud of her. The way that she handles this experience that she's going through and the perspective that she has just I was very proud I don't know if that's just so it's so strange to say to someone that you barely know I think it's more so you're kind of like elated at the fact that we have somebody like her in our community somebody that can uplift other women like there because at the same time yeah we see people who bash our faith who are within our faith and then you have people like Alia where you feel like a sigh of relief when you know people like her exist 
So when it comes to Ali and her family, like my family has been following her for years, like forever. Like when it comes to Subhitaha and his modest, um, you know, clothing wear. And mm-hmm. then the fact that, that they're like so invested in their Palestinian culture and how much they talk about it. It's so beautiful. And they showcase it in such a beautiful way. And then at the other, the flip side, they're also Filipino and Filipina. That's like also beautiful. Like when you get to see both, both of their, sides, both sides, like collide together. And it's like, I don't know, it's really, really I just enjoy watching and listening to their family. And not only that, you know, sometimes you like you watch people, you follow people online, but they're not doing anything for you. It's just like they fill your mind with junk. I not to like overhype them or anything like that, but I always walk away with knowledge. Like, I don't know, somehow, some way they taught me something, something so small to something so big and how to treat people and how to get closer to our faith. And it's relevant in this episode. I mean, we talk about so many things in this episode and she always brought it back to faith. And that's something that I find so beautiful. And it's something that we don't always do. Um, When we lose someone that we love, to bring it back to Allah and bring it back to faith and put that trust in him and put the trust in his plan. Honestly, like that to me is the most beautiful thing. Like you are so faithful and you are so connected to Allah in your own certain way that you can bring every hardship and every struggle and every every trauma that you've been through back to Allah and not question it, but sort of like thank him for the lessons that he's taught you because of that. And you know what, when we when we turned off the mic and everything and we had our own discussion, you said something really like that's how I felt. You said something to Alia along the lines of like, I wish I could see life through your lens. Yeah. And I wish I wish the same for me. And I, I didn't know how to put that into words, but that's like the perfect way to put it. The way she sees everything and the way she she looks at the positive side of everything and the glass half full and just like losing your dad in what a few months ago and and just like looking at the beauty of your family more so at the loss that that's beautiful in itself and then when it comes to just somebody being genuine i think authentic self is being so misused she's a very genuine soul because to come on her own platform and for her to discuss something that we consider controversial and she says it in such a beautiful way when she talks about the hijab and where the state of hijab and where it's at right now i enjoyed listening to her because it was another perspective because yes all we see is people saying yeah go you're finding your authentic self i'm not negating the struggle because everybody's struggling but at the same time i like how ali is like bring it back to the faith and understand that do not attack our faith because our faith never did anything to you you know what i mean it only guided you exactly and something she also mentioned was the fact that when she would sit and pray to allah and then ask him for things she'd get embarrassed like oh this is so stupid why am i asking for this like why am i these are such insignificant things and once i bring it back to allah that's when i realize how insignificant they are and i think with every struggle that we go through and every every obstacle we face if we just sit down and talk to allah things become so clear to us like we don't even need him to send us a sign sometimes it's just sitting there and talking to him it's like oh wait now i get it it makes sense and thank you for Ailea to remind us that a good cry really does help. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, every time I've had a good cry, it really has like, just like, I just felt so much lighter. And it's true. As she said, it's like, you're literally cleansing your soul. You're allowing your soul to breathe again. You're allowing yourself to breathe again because you're filled with all this anxiety and anxiousness and everything like that. Sometimes you need that good cry. Yeah. So I really, really want to thank Ailea for coming on here. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And we really wish that we can keep her on for hours because this girl has so much wisdom to share with the rest of us and for 
her to be from our age group, it's just so crazy. Like you don't come across that. And too I just want to talk about her voice because I think oh, her yes. voice is like the best. I love that raspy. I just love it so much. It's not even it's just she has she has a podcast voice. So you guys, me and Zena are trying to push her really hard to get a podcast she needs because it. I know everybody's gonna subscribe to that yeah. and I'm going to subscribe oh, to that. So inshallah we can do that. As always, you guys, please leave us a review. Um we really put a lot of effort into these episodes and our guests would also appreciate these reviews to even just like you know be specific and say hey i enjoyed alia's episode she really taught me a lot so let's hope like we can keep this going and we want to thank you and we hope to see you guys next week bye